Chapter 10, Modern Israel. The common teaching of Christianity and Judaism is the northern ten tribes of Israel became lost to history after the Assyrian captivity around 700 BCE. But that belief has some problems, probably the greatest of which is, how did the all-powerful creator of the universe lose ten-twelfths of his people? <clears throat> that prompts an obvious question. If a person has such an incompetent God, would it not be prudent to begin looking for a new one? Of course, the Bible does not support such nonsense at all. First of all, Yahweh promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations with a population as numerous as the sand of the seashore. That's why Yahweh changed his name to Abraham, meaning father of many nations. But that certainly didn't happen in ancient times, where Israel only became two nations. Judah became the southern nation consisting of three tribes, Judah, Benjamin, and Levi, while the other ten became the northern nation called Israel. In fact, these two nations of Israelites even waged war against each other in 2 Kings 14. But one thing's for sure, there were only two nations descended from Abraham in ancient times. <clears throat> we also have a very interesting prophecy in Amos 9 telling us, For surely I will command and sift the house of Israel among all nations as grain is sifted in a sieve, yet not the smallest grain shall fall to the ground. In other words, he was going to scatter them through all the Gentile nations, but not one Israelite would be lost, let alone ten whole tribes. Again, what kind of inept God loses his chosen people, especially when it's stated he has named every star, which has to be multiple trillions. Actually, there is one, or many actually, who truly desires Israel to be lost from history, which of course is the dragon and its cohorts. <clears throat> the one that no doubt spawned the lie the northern ten tribes of Israel were gone forever. Not only does that lie discredit Yahweh as an incompetent, bumbling God, but is an excuse to elevate the Gentiles to being Yahweh's default substitute people. Yes, Yahweh has plans for the Gentiles as well. They can embrace Yahweh and his Torah and become spiritual Israelites themselves, or they can simply wait for the ultimate plans I'm convinced Yahweh has for them as Gentile nations. Actually, it was the Jews who first rejected the diaspora, that is, the scattered ten tribes, as being gone. In fact, the parable of the prodigal son is addressing that precise issue. The prodigal son was the northern tribes that spent their inheritance among the Gentiles, while Judah was the faithful son who stayed with his father, Yahweh. In reading the parable, we see the faithful son was very unhappy with his father's reacceptance of his lost returning brother. Sadly, the Jews refused to accept back their brothers in the first century and still to this day. They refused to allow non-Jews, <clears throat> that is, other Israelites, to emigrate into their modern-day nation called Israel. Actually, if they were honest, they would have named their modern nation Judah. But the truth will come out eventually. Ezekiel 37 speaks of the two sticks of Israel, that is, Joseph and Judah, being reunited as a complete people again. That said, it's quite interesting to see the Jewish population in the U.S., that's modern Ephraim, is close to the same number as the little nation of Jews calling themselves Israel. <clears throat> this century is the first time since the Assyrian captivity the ten northern tribes have been reunified with such a large number of Jews. Considering the United States has proven to have a population mix of all the Israelite tribes, it can logically be argued in the Ezekiel 37 prophecy has already come to fruition. 
Getting back to the Jews, rejecting their scattered brothers, we find an example in Paul's New Testament confrontation <coughs> of Peter eating with them. That account is proof the Pharisees and Jews in general considered the lost tribes Gentiles. In Acts 10, we find the Apostle Peter praying about it. He had some of those so-called Gentiles, that is, uncircumcised, coming to him such as Cornelius, who with a Roman name and having been conscripted into the Roman army, was automatically labeled a Gentile, that is, by the Jews. The Romans forced all the vassal nations they conquered to serve in the army. But before Peter could meet with Cornelius, Peter was given a vision of a sheet of animals being lowered from heaven. That's Acts 10.11. The sheet was tied at the corners and was full of unclean animals, with a voice telling him, Rise, Peter, and eat. <clears throat> but Peter responded, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. But then the voice came a second time, instructing him, What God, that is Yahweh the Father, has cleansed, you must not call common. When Peter met Cornelius, that's verse 25, Cornelius reminded him the Jews were prohibited from eating with Gentiles. But Peter told him, <clears throat> Whom the Creator has cleansed, no man can call common or unclean. We know those people, Peter and his fellow apostles, not Paul, were meeting with were of the diaspora, that is the scattered ten tribes, by what we read in Matthew 10, 5-6. <clears throat> there Yeshua sent out his disciples, telling them, do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, who are Gentiles, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. <clears throat> he adds to that in Matthew 15, 24, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's the lost ten tribes. Again, we have additional proof the Jews considered the diaspora Gentiles with Paul's actions in Acts 11:3. Those of the circumcision, which is a reference to the Jews, the Pharisees, accusing Peter, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. Interestingly, we know that one of these of the circumcision was dear old Paul, considering his begging, <clears throat> bragging to his congregation in Galatians 2, that's verses 11 through 14, about getting in Peter's face for eating with Gentiles. That is, in spite of Peter's actions being justified with the sheet vision. How interesting the way Christianity also stands with the Jews in their insistence the northern ten Israelite tribes are gone forever. <clears throat> in fact, Christianity as a whole teaches Israel in the Bible is simply a reference to the Jews, but nothing could be further from the truth. Judah, that is the Jews, were only one tribe of the twelve, one of the smaller ones at that. The largest tribe was Ephraim, the tribe that became interchangeable with the name Israel as we see throughout the book of Hosea. <clears throat> Ephraim was Joseph's son, that is, Jacob's grandson. When Jacob was about to die and doling out the blessings to his sons in Genesis 14, he transferred Joseph's blessing to Joseph's two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. There it states, Israel, that is, Jacob, stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. <clears throat> In the blessings of ancient times, it was the firstborn who normally received the greater blessing, which was with the right hand. So when Jacob placed his left hand on the eldest, Manasseh's head, Joseph became upset. Now when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on Ephraim, that is the younger, it displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. 
Joseph was obviously trying to stick to tradition and thought his aged father had just made a mistake. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know he, that is Manasseh, shall also become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. <clears throat> when in ancient times did Manasseh and Ephraim become a multitude of nations? Well, never. Obviously, these blessings were for a future time, well beyond that those people achieved back then. Before going on, let's take a sidestep and investigate the interesting fate of the daughters of King Zedekiah to illustrate the way Yahweh works with his people. In 2 Kings 25, we find Zedekiah, the last king of the southern house of Israel, that's Judah, being besieged in Jerusalem by the king, Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar, who eventually conquered it after a three-year siege. <clears throat> when King Zedekiah realized Jerusalem was about to go down, he escaped through a tunnel and made a run for it but was eventually captured in the plains of Jericho. Even though it isn't chronicled in the Bible, other books such as Josephus document how the prophet Jeremiah was not taken captive by the Babylonians and took Zedekiah's two daughters, Tetephi and Scota, to Egypt and then to the British Isles. He also brought the ruling scepter of King David, who was prophesied to be the permanent king of all Israel in at least two Bible prophecies. Jeremiah supposedly also brought Jacob's pillow stone, which was placed under the British throne, becoming known as the Coronation Stone, or the Stone of Scone. It was eventually taken to Scotland, where it remains today. It is obvious where the name Scotland originated, Scota, but it's a well-known fact the royal family of England descended from King David. That's by Sir Lawrence Gardner. Again, it was prophesied to King David that the throne or scepter, would never leave his family, as we see in 2 Samuel 7.15, where Yahweh tells David his house and kingdom and throne would be established forever. Since that prophecy of a descendant of King David seated on his throne forever was proven true, why would we not expect the prophecies for Ephraim becoming a multitude of nations to not also be true? Well, they are. <clears throat> Ephraim was to become a company of nations, like his elder brother but was prophesied he would become the greater, not only in wealth and power, but in population. Looking around in these modern times, we see all the conditions have been met perfectly, right down to the fact the United States, that is modern Ephraim, being a company of nation-states. Manasseh, the eldest son of Joseph, was also power, that is world-dominant and wealthy, as well as being a company of nations, if we recognize all of its colonies as nations. But again, the United States has become much more powerful, prosperous, and numerous than Great Britain ever was. But Britain and the United States are not the only modern Israelite nations. In fact, virtually all the Western nations are also. And that's not all. Israelite migration experts such as Dr. Stephen Pigeon make an amazing case as to how many of the Native American tribes are also descended from Israelite tribes. <clears throat> To sum up this chapter, the reason the adversaries, that is the Satans or demons, want the ten tribes gone, all twelve actually, is because of their ordained purpose in the great plan Yahweh has laid out for humanity. As shown in earlier chapters, the Creator Yahweh has had a glorious plan for humanity from the beginning. <clears throat> the feast rehearsals of the last chapter teach us that plan, but there is much more. We find a scripture in 1 Corinthians 10.11 that adds another level of understanding to those feast rehearsals. And it says there, Now all these things happened to them as examples, 
and they have been, they were written down for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. That scripture is not referring to the feasts per se, but to the whole playing out of what ancient Israel did and experienced. For instance, it was Joshua and Caleb that led the people into the promised land. Joshua, or Yahshua, was an Ephraimite and Caleb was a Jew. Actually, the physical promised land of ancient times was just a physical type, a rehearsal of the real one modern Israel is going to be led into. Considering an Ephraimite and a Jew, that is Joshua and Caleb, led the Israelites into the ancient promised land, why would we not also expect a modern Joshua and Caleb to lead modern Israel? Personally, I don't believe it will be two individuals this time, but a remnant of those two nations. Since it was Ephraim, modern U.S., that was the leader, is it any wonder why the spirit adversaries have been working so diligently to get rid of us, that is the U.S.? They call us the great Satan. <clears throat> an amazing and connected fact is Joshua is simply an anglicization of the Messiah's name, Yeshua. <clears throat> What is about to go down, modern Israel will be humbled, that is the Day of Atonement, and then led into the New Promised Land. <clears throat> That's Ezekiel 36. They will then be filled with Yahweh's set-apart spirit, as we're told in Ezekiel 36, 24. For I will take you from among the nations, including the modern Israelite nations, gather you out of the countries, and bring you into your own land. And I will sprinkle clean water on you, that is, baptize, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Something like that has never happened. <clears throat> Ezekiel 36 shows the birth of a whole new world and era, beginning with Israel returning to Yahweh. Isaiah 46 or 42, 6 tells us that Israel was to be the light to the world, with Matthew 5, 14 echoing the echoing the same sentiment in the New Testament. Again, Israel never accomplished that decree in ancient times, but will finally fulfill that role in Ezekiel 38 and 39. <clears throat> Modern Israel being led into their new promised land is about to take place in the very near future. It will be, happen, or it will be the beginning of a whole new era and a new world, the return of the Garden of Eden, which eventually will encompass the entire world. <clears throat>